So we've been doing this. Uh, <laughs> we've been doing this series called Words to Live By, which it's really been good so far. Um, so if you've missed any of them, I really encourage you to uh, catch up on podcast um, and yeah, have a listen. So last week, John was talking about us being more than conquerors and how we're not just conquering, but we go beyond conquering. We are more than conquerors. Um, it was a really good message. Um, so this week, I'm going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which is one of my favorite verses, a couple of verses. Um, and it's the promise of, of God's peace, which is great for me because I'm a self-confessed worrier. I think I've confessed several times that I, <laughs> I am a worrier. <clears throat> um, and I decided two weeks ago, it's interesting what we've just kind of been saying about us, you know, being on the front line and stuff. I decided two weeks ago that I was going to preach on these verses and I can tell you, I've never said these two verses more in the last two weeks than I have in my whole life because I, I've felt, my heart has felt in turmoil. Um, and the devil will do that to you. You know, as soon as you catch on to and latch on to a verse, he'll say, are you sure? Are you sure that I've promised you peace? Are you sure that that's, are you sure that that's what God said about, about peace, that he would give that to you? And that's what the devil whispers in your ear. And so... Yeah, I've, I've really felt in turmoil. And I don't say that because I want you to feel sorry for me, but I say that because I want you to pray for those of us that preach because it's not just kind of getting up on a, on a Sunday morning and delivering something, but we feel the weight of that throughout the week. And so it's really important that we have you guys standing with us in prayer. So, so yeah, pray for us. So let's, let's have a look at this verse. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we're going to have a look at that in a bit, and, and we're going to break it all down into the different parts. Um, but before we do that, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the science of thought. And you might have heard me say some of this stuff before. Um, but it's true that everyone at some point struggles with negative thinking, with anxiety, with depression. And, and I've personally found it really helpful to understand the science behind that. It's kind of helped me to tackle it a bit. So it helps us to know that thoughts are real. They are actual real matter in your brain that can be seen under a microscope. Um, I think I've got a slide which should hopefully work. And they look a bit like trees. They're called neurons. There you go. Um, so the one on this side is an actual picture of an actual neuron in your brain. The one on this side is like a computer animated, this is what we think it probably looks like, 3D image. And so these neurons, they, they look like trees. They have these branches that come in off the top of them. They're called dendrites. And these dendrites send electricity to the whole network of other dendrites and little trees in your brain. And that's how our brains work. They're firing this electricity backwards and forwards. And each one of those dendrites represents a different thought. So when, when you think something, it's like a seed is planted in your brain. And if that's the only time you think of it, then it doesn't take root. It's fine. You just move on. But if you continually think that same thought, then it's like you're watering and nourishing that thought and that seed. And so these neurons and, and dendrites then grow into these solid trees, which are thoughts and memories that can be seen under a microscope. 
And these thought neurons, it's not just that that it impacts, but our body, I don't know if you realise, is made up of over 100 trillion cells. And each dendrite affects those 100 trillion cells every time it's activated. And so that can obviously affect your body negatively or positively, depending on that thought. And all these thoughts connect with all the other thoughts. It's amazing, isn't it? Look how God's created us. It's just amazing. And not only that, but these thoughts have emotions attached. So every time um, a tree is kind of watered and nourished and grown, when we, when we think that, we also have a feeling that goes with it. So that's why when we think of past memories, it's almost like we're back there again. We can feel it in our hearts as well when we go back and think of, of memories because we're activating that particular thought tree and it's got the feelings attached to it and so our body becomes overwhelmed with the feelings as well. And these thoughts, they determine everything about us. They, they determine how we think, how we feel. They direct us. They direct our future. They determine how we respond both to the past and the present and how we think about the future. They affect our behavior, our emotions, our actions and our attitudes. Our thoughts direct us, but the good news is that we can also direct our thoughts. We're able to take control of our thoughts through this wonderful thing called neuroplasticity. Everyone say neuroplasticity. No? <laughs> well, that was pretty good. <laughs> so the neuro bit just means brain or nervous system. It's like nerves, neurosystem, yeah. Um, it's your brain. And then the plasticity bit is, um, if you think of plastic, it's the quality of being being able to shape it or mould it. We can do that with plastic, which is why we use it for so many stuff, because, because it's so easily shaped and moulded. So that's what neuroplasticity means. It's, it means that our brains can be shaped or moulded. Do you know, when I was doing um, psychology A-level, which was many moons ago now, um, I was taught that your brain is moulded up until the age of five, and then whatever thoughts were created, that's it. You're stuck with that for the rest of your life. So if you went through something up until the age of five, and um, if it was a traumatic event, that then played out in the rest of your life. Um, and if you didn't, then you were fine for the rest of your life. Um, but then, uh, as, I've, as I've learned more about psychology and about how that works, the teaching has changed now, and they say that um, you know, the, the brain develops quickest in those first five years, and then there's also another spout around the adolescence where it, where it goes really fast as well. But the brain can be moulded and changed throughout your whole life. You don't have to um, be stuck in that trauma or whatever has happened to you below the age of five. So if I can try and explain this, this neuroplasticity, and I think I have said this before, um, but if you imagine that I go, I go walking with my friend through a woodland area, um, and this, this does actually happen, we meet once a week and we go through for a walk through some woodland area and there's half of the path um, that was made to be there and it's got like these wooden planks on either side to kind of hold it in shape and it's got like stones on it and so you can see that that path is supposed to be there and you walk along that um, and uh, but it's, it's just kind of like one way and so rather than people just walking there and then walking back along the same path this other path has kind of appeared going round in a loop around the kind of the edge of the woodland area. And that path wasn't supposed to be there, the other half. Um, but people have been walking along it again and again and again, so it's become much more defined. 
So it doesn't have these planks either side, and you know you can see that it wasn't supposed to be there at first, but because people have been walking over that path repeatedly, it, the path has been created. And so it's the same thing in our brains, that if we, if we think something, and then we think it again, and we think it again, then it becomes much more defined in our brains. And so if we want to change our thinking, that's going to be hard work because it means that we have to take a path that is not defined. We have to walk through some overgrowth. We have to you know, tackle bushes and, and brambles and things like that to try and walk through. But the more that we do that, the more defined that path will come. And then the other path will become more overgrown. And so that's how our thinking works. We can change our thinking in that way. And they're called neural pathways. So it's not easy to change your thinking, but it is possible. So why do I keep banging on about this? <laughs> well, I think that if I just ex explain this to you, then maybe the first time you hear it, you'll just think, oh, wow, there, there is an alternative way. There is another path. Maybe I can do this. Then the next time I say it, you might think, actually, I'm ready. I can take a few steps along this path. And then if I talk about it again, which I know I no doubt will do, then you know it just gives you that extra encouragement to keep going. So I'm going to keep banging on about this until we're all you know sorted. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, John introduced this series, and um, he said, "Recognize it, capture it, replace it." When talking about thoughts, and I don't think he realised, but he was summing up the science of this and how we can put it into action. He definitely didn't realise. <laughs> um, but I latched onto this, and so I'm going to use this and, and kind of expand on it a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I mean, for some of us, it might be an easy thing. It might be you, you recognise that you feel unloved, and then you, you capture that thought, yes, I feel unloved, and then you replace it with a Bible verse that says, God loves you, and then you're all sorted and you can go about on your day. But I think for most of us, because of these trees that we've talked about, there is a deep-rooted thought in our brains that says, I am not loved, and then everything kind of comes out from that. So I've got another slide, um, and this just kind of explains it a little bit more. So we've got, a, it, it's a bit like a plant, a tree. So we've got the root cause at the bottom there, which is the planted thought. So that's the why of the thought. Like, that's kind of the origin story. That's the reason why you feel and think the way that you do. And then we've got the stem, which is the perspective. So that, that deep-rooted, planted thought affects our perspective. That affects how we see and feel the world. So if the thought says we're in love, then every situation that we go through, we see through that perspective of I am unloved. And then coming out from that, we've got the leaves, which are our which are our reactions, our attitudes and behaviours. So that's what people see on the outside. It's how we express what's the thinking that's actually going on on the inside. And so if we've got a deep-rooted thought that says, I'm not loved, and then everything that happens to us we see through that lens, then the leaves are going to come out as um, feeling like everyone's out to get me, um, feeling anxious, feeling depressed, all those kind of horrible feelings that we don't want to experience. And if we just kind of look at the leaves and think, oh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to change those leaves, I'd like to change how I feel, then 
you know, if you, if you just chop the leaves off a tree, that's not going to do a lot, is it? It's just going to grow more leaves. Um, and so what we need to be doing is getting right down into the root of what it is that is, is in us, in our brains, that thought that we've got, and dig it out from the roots. So changing our roots leads to peace. So how, how can we do this? So let's have a look at this. Recognize it. So in order to recognize this thought, we have to know that thoughts have feelings attached. And we start with the feeling, and we can listen to our feelings more. So if you're often experiencing a low mood or feeling angry or irritable or sad or lonely or something like that, then that's a, an indicator to you that there's something that needs attention. And it can also come out in a physical way. So like um, adrenaline rushes or it could be something like cold sores or headaches or nausea or aches and pains. And yeah, that might be a, a diet thing or it might be a health condition. But if it's not, and if you if you've kind of explored all other avenues, but you're still feeling that way, then I would suggest that you kind of think about when that's happening and take notes maybe, just recognise when that is happening um, and look for patterns and see if there's anything that kind of is triggering that. Um, I wasn't sure whether to kind of share this story or not because it makes me look bad, but I'm going to. <laughs> so um, at, at the conference that we've been at the last couple of days, um, we've got this uh, the seating area. It's like a big auditorium type thing. And so the, the seating area at the bottom is all one level. And the chairs were quite close to each other. And I've got long legs. So we, we sat there the first like for two of the sessions, and I was quite uncomfortable. Um, I, yeah, I didn't really fit in the seats properly. Um, but behind that, they've got this tiered seating. And there's a lot more leg room, and you can see a lot better. And so you know, it's, it's, that's just what my preference for where I, I would want to sit. And so we went into one of these meetings, and uh, the stewards had obviously been told to make sure that they fill in the bottom first before you can go up and sit on the tiered seating. And so um, the three of us went into this meeting, and uh, the, the first steward I met, she said, oh, you can't, you can't sit up there, you have to come and sit down here. And, and so I explained, I said, I, I don't find it very comfortable sitting there. There's not a lot of uh, leg room for me. Um, are we all right to go up? And she said, oh, yeah, okay. So I took a step up, and then uh, there was a, a second steward who was a bit more feisty. <laughs> and um, she, she blocked me, and she stood in front of me, and she just said, no. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't listen to me. She didn't, she didn't hear why, what my reasons were. She just said, no, you can't sit here. And I was kind of trying to explain, and she said, no. And I don't know what it was, but that just really riled me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so and John was like, "Come on, we'll just go and sit down here." And I was like, "No." <laughs> so we marched off to the other aisle and got past the other steward and went and sat in the tiered se seating. And it <laughs> and I know exactly why it happened, really. Um, and it's it's because thirty seconds earlier, I just said to Joanne that somebody I'm quite close to is really stubborn. And so, <laughs> so it was like God saying to me, I'll show you stubborn. <laughs> Here's a mirror. <laughs> I was like, okay, wow. Um, but I really allowed that to steal my peace, you know, and it was such a silly thing. Like, I could have just gone and sat down in the seating and I would have been a bit uncomfortable, but does it really matter? No, it doesn't, you know, but I, I, I really allowed that to rile me up. So uh, you guess what I'm going to be working on next? 
<laughs> but you can, you can get to the bottom of these things by asking yourself why questions. So that's what I'm going to be doing this week. Um, so you, you can kind of start with the feelings. And I'm not going to do it now because I don't know where it will end up. <laughs> but, but say like you get adrenaline rushes, for example. Like, why do I get adrenaline rushes? Because I feel overwhelmed. Why do I feel overwhelmed? Because I've taken on too much. Why do I take on too much? Because I can't say no. Why can I not say no? Because I feel like everyone else deserves it more than me. Why do I feel that way? I feel unworthy. You know, and you can get all the way down. I mean, it's not always that simple. But, you know, you can keep asking yourself these why questions. And if you're real, real with yourself and honest with yourself, you can quite, um, quite easily-ish get to, you know, the, the root cause of why you're feeling the way you are. So you get deeper and deeper and find that root cause, and then that is what you tackle. So that is how we can recognize it. And then the next thing is to capture it. So once we've found what this thought is, we capture it. If we find it and then ignore it, it's a little bit like giving it water and nourishment because it's already deep and planted in us. And so if we don't tackle it head on and uproot it, then it's just going to keep growing. So it can't be pushed down. And, and forgotten about. We have to capture it, we have to acknowledge it and face it head on. So we can think about where that thought comes from. So when I'm going through this process, I'll ask these why questions, I'll get to the thought, and then I'll just keep looking at that thought over a few days um, and just keep going back to it and seeing if I can add things to it. Like, what, what is it? What has happened to me in my life that makes me think this way? What is it that is, um, that is making me feel this? And you can gain that kind of insight over a few days or even a week. And then it's acknowledging that that thought is not right, it is not correct, and it doesn't line up with God's truth. And then the third thing is replacing it. So when we've found that negative thought, we find a word of God's truth to counteract it. And we can repeat this. Um, the, the scientists say, do it seven times every day um, for as long as you can, really. But they say at least 63 days. Um, and keep just keep repeating that. So, again, it's no good to just kind of say, right, I feel this way, here's a verse to counteract it, right now I'll move on with my life. You know, if we want to get hold of these deep-rooted thoughts, then we need to be doing it um, kind of with passion and vigour and um, really kind of chopping at the root. So seven times daily. And so you can, you can do that however you find easiest. So I've, I've blessed John this morning, got him to print out some little, um, uh, little cards with the verse for today on it. Um, so they're at the back, and there's ones from last week as well, isn't there? So I think we're going to do that now for um, the next few weeks. So if one of these verses in particular speaks to you, then grab hold of a paper copy and just stick it up, or take two if you want. Um, stick it up somewhere where you're going to see it at least seven times a day. Put it by your bathroom mirror, put it by... Um, your front door if you're walking in and out a lot. Um, put it next to your kettle. Um, if, you, if you drink tea like John does, then you'll be healed after a day. You know? <laughs> just put it, <laughs> put it wherever you know you're going to see it. And then, then it just keeps reminding you and you keep replacing that thought with the truth of God. Um, I love the, the message version of um, Philippians 4.7. It says, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And that's really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to swap our worry for Christ in our lives. And it has to be Jesus that replaces that worry. 
you know, these steps are not meant to be about positive thinking, but it's about truth. And it's about replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts from God, directly from God. It's not positive thinking as such. It's only sustainable if it's truth from God. And it's not about changing our circumstances either. You know, you can't, you can't say to yourself, well, I feel poor, but I want to be rich. So I'm going to declare every day I am rich. And then, you know, you check your bank account. Oh, I'm still poor. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change your circumstances either. You know, it's, it's about changing what is within you. It empowers that change within, changes the thoughts from the roots to adjust the stem and the leaves. Um, so uh, you, will, you will know John Andrews. He preached here before Christmas, um, and he had some amazing books out the back, and I know some of you bought them. I'm currently reading Truth Formation, which is about truth that empowers change. And uh, John Andrews says, The Bible teaches us clearly that lasting change only comes from truth. Other change may result from other things, such as guilt, environment, education, or indoctrination, but the life force of change, the power to initiate and sustain change in our lives, has to come from truth, or else it will run out of steam and fail to produce what it can. So each of us has to find that truth and cling on to it. We have to, you know, we can always ask the Holy Spirit for revelation of what truth it is that he wants to speak into us, and we grab a hold of that. Do you know, um, our leadership team here, we can walk alongside you with that. We can help you with that. We can cheer you on from the sidelines. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to find that thought and to uproot it. And, uh, yeah, we, we want to come alongside you with that, absolutely. But each of you has to kind of take responsibility for that, um, for your own um, digging up of those roots. Okay, so we're going to take a, a closer look at this truth today which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love the Passion Translation of this as well. It says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. So it starts with, do not be anxious about anything, which is definitely easier said than done. I've already said, I am a worrier. And so, like, for example, um, I, as I was sitting down to write this, um, John had, uh, it was a Saturday, and John had taken the boys out swimming to get them out my hair so that I could concentrate. Um, hi, Caleb. He's just walked past. <laughs> Sorry, love you. <laughs> uh, so John had taken the boys swimming, and, and I, I noticed and realized that the thoughts that are going through my head are they're going to be involved in a car crash or one of my kids is going to drown. And they're the thoughts that actually come into my head, and I have to constantly battle that. Um, I have got better, believe it or not. But I've been battling these kinds of things for years. And so I really have to make a conscious effort, first of all, to realize that I'm thinking that way. And then to um, battle against it and um, you know, come against this. And I find that it, it happens when I take my eyes off Jesus, which sounds really obvious. But that's, that's what it is. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
I love the, uh, the Passion Translation where it says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's when we get pulled in those different directions, it takes us away from looking at Jesus. Because the reality is that in every worst case scenario, which is how I think, Jesus is still above it all. He's still on the throne. Um, you know, he's, he's still... So Isaiah 40, 22 says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And that's never going to change, is it? And it speaks of God's sovereignty over everything. And it's not about life going well, is it? But it's about having that peace in every situation. Jesus also said in, um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, he said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And again, the Passion Version of that says, um, Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. So Jesus himself tells us to take it one step at a time. You know, we shouldn't allow ourselves to become overwhelmed by all these thoughts and stresses, but just take it one bit at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, if that's how it needs to be. And Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that just speaks of God's nearness, that he's with us all the time. He's rooting for us. He's upholding us. So true peace is not found in positive thinking. And it's, it's not about, um, you know, just kind of sweeping it away. But it's, it's found in God's truth. It comes from knowing that God is in control. Knowing that we're citizens of his kingdom. That our destiny is set. And that we've got victory over sin and death. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. So um, the message version of Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. So we've said that, you know, we need long-term work for these long-term issues. But sometimes we just need God's peace in the short term for a particular situation that we're going through, don't we? And Paul's advice here is just to pause and pray. He says, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. So I used to work, um, before I had Caleb, um, 11 years ago, I worked for uh, a company that... Um, did risk assessments for petrol stations. And believe me, that was as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> um, I was an admin assistant in that company. Um, and I learned a lot about petrol stations, but I knew that it kind of wasn't where I was going in life. It wasn't what I wanted to do as a career, for sure. Um, and uh, it was while I was working here that I um, became pregnant with Caleb. And so I'd been on maternity leave for nine months. I'd been at home with my baby for those nine months. And uh, I remember clearly driving back to work that first day after nine months off with my baby. And, um, and my heart was just in turmoil. And, you know, I was so, I was worried about leaving him because it was the first time that I'd left him for any length of time. Um, I was just feeling bad about, um, you know, not really seeing him because it was a nine to five job. So, you know, I was, um, Barbara and Jeremy would come round and to our house and they would give him his breakfast, look after him all day and give him his tea. And so, and then it was time for bed. And so I hardly saw him those days that I was working. 
And so I was driving, and I mean, I probably almost definitely cried um, on, the, on the way to work and just thinking, I just don't, I, I don't want to go. I don't know how I'm going to manage this. I don't have the strength for this. Um, but then these two verses came to my mind. And so I spoke them aloud and I started praying. And so I was just, I was real with God. I was sulking really, but I was just like asking God, like, oh, this is just so unfair. Like, I don't want to do this. I just want to be at home with my baby, you know, and, and all these things. And I was just letting, um, but I kind of got to a point where I was letting my worry be turned into those praises and, and prayer and petitions before God and shaping those worries into prayers. And so I was letting God know my concerns um, and saying, you know, I just, I don't think I can do this. And to be honest, I didn't really expect anything to change. But, um, but God does keep his promises, thankfully. And I just was felt, felt this um, overwhelming peace just over my whole body and in my heart and in my mind. And, and I knew that I had strength then to face the day. And this calm that a moment ago had seemed completely unreachable had just suddenly come over me. And I, yeah, I just, I remember that. And it didn't change my situation, did it? But I still had to go to work. I still had to fulfill that job. But in that moment, I had God's peace and he gave me the strength to carry on and face the day. So I love this idea of supplication as petitions. And I think that we shouldn't be afraid to ask God for what we need, turning our worries into prayers. You know, when we sign a petition, it's like we're stepping out and we're asking for change, aren't we? That's what a petition is for and what it does. So when we're petitioning to God, we're stepping out and we're asking for change. And I think that we need to get better at that, really. God already knows what we need, but he also likes us to ask for it. He likes to have that relationship with us. And I think we shouldn't be afraid of praying those real prayers. You know, um, when we were talking at Easter, John said, was talking about Jesus praying, take this cup from me. You know, that was such a, a brutally honest, real prayer. And so that came from Jesus himself. So, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to, um, to be real in our praying. And it doesn't have to be long prayers either, but just moment by moment prayers. You know, like help, that's a great prayer, you know. And, and God responds to that and listens to us. Again, the Passion Translation says, bring your faith-filled requests with overflowing gratitude. So we have that faith that God is with us and near us and can provide us with the peace that he promises. And then we come to these two words that are quite easy to miss. It says, with thanksgiving. And I think, um, to be honest, the message version skims over it a bit. And I think we, we can sometimes skim over it a bit too. But the Passion Translation says, have an overflowing gratitude. So this attitude of gratitude, thinking of things to be thankful for, you know, and that can be anything like a house, food, a bed to sleep in, you know, um, just things that uh, we have every day that we perhaps take for granted, but it just grounds us in that thankful attitude. You can be thinking as you're hoovering, oh, I hate cleaning, or you can change it and think, thank you, God, that I've got a house to clean. You know, it's, it's all dependent on our attitude. And I think a bad attitude can act as a bit of a barrier between us and God. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So there's another example here of peace and thankfulness being intertwined. We're called to live peaceful lives with each other and have that peace within. And thankfulness can really help with that. That attitude of gratitude really helps. 
But what about when we're in a really difficult situation? I'm not just talking about hoovering your house now, but like when you're going through something really difficult and really, you know, that can be really hard to be thankful in that situation. Um, years ago, when I was um, really struggling with depression, I was chatting to another guy who had experienced the same thing. Um, and he, he said that he felt God had told him to be thankful for his depression. And I thought, that's really weird. Why would, why would God tell you to be thankful for something that is so awful for you to go through? But anyway, I was, just, I was desperate, and so I, I tried it, and I started to be thankful for going through depression. And it really did give me a new perspective. It made me thankful for the empathy that comes out of that. It made me um, thankful for the patience and understanding that I have for other people after going through that. And it's also given in me a passion to see other people come through that and stand alongside people. And so there's so many things that I can be thankful for, even though it was horrible to go through. You can flip that around and, and start thinking about what, what you can be thankful for. And so if we were to apply that to other situations, thank you, God, for that person who's making my life hell. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? <laughs> But Romans 12, 14 tells us to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Thank you, God, for my lack of finance because it makes me reliant on you as my provider. And thank you, God, that even though I'm grieving, I had an amazing time with them and I'll see them again in eternity. They're the really hard things, aren't they? And there's many, many more. But they're the hard things to be thankful for. So we're still being honest here. We're still saying, this really hurts, but I'm thankful. And then we come to this amazing promise of a peace that surpasses understanding. So John 14, 27 says, it's, John, it's Jesus speaking here, and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what is this peace that Jesus gives us? So our worldly definition of peace is like an absence of conflict, isn't it? You know, we're, we're regularly and currently praying for peace in Ukraine. And, and what we're really asking God for is for the conflict to be removed, for an absence of that conflict. And, and then that would bring peace on the land, and that is what we're asking for. But this internal peace, it's, um, it's a peace that conflict can still reign around us, but we've got peace inside. So the peace of Jesus is a confident assurance. It means that we don't have any need to fear the present or the future. We're trusting that God holds the present and the future. So as I said, when I went back to work after having Caleb, my situation did not change. I still had to work but the conflict within me had resolved. And we, we have, can sometimes have so many things at war within us. We have sin, fear, anxiety, doubt, and other forces. You know, Ephesians 6 talks to us about these, these um, other forces that are fighting and against us that we have to be ready for. You know, when I'm, when I'm taking the kids to school, which doesn't happen as often now, but when I'm driving the kids to school... Um, I like to set them up for the day, and so I like to put a playlist on that I know is going to kind of make them feel good and, you know, ready for anything. And, and uh, they've started requesting songs now. 
Um, so Toby's favourite song at the moment is called God Suit, and I love it. It's great. Um, and the words are, I've got the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth around my waist. When I feel weak, you make me strong. Never back down. I've got my God suit on. <laughs> your saving grace will guard my head. Your righteousness like a bulletproof vest. These good news shoes were made to run. Never back down. I've got my God suit on. And it's brilliant. And I just love the thought of sending him into school singing that because, you know, he's ready for anything then, isn't he? But um, this comes from Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the, the fighting against these spiritual forces of evil, and he gives us the armor of God. And uh, verse 15 in particular says, Stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So the gospel, or the good news of Jesus, brings us peace. And when we know this good news, which is Jesus, when we know this person of Jesus, we can stand firm. So if you're going through something at the moment, that's such a good passage to read. I really recommend reading Ephesians 6. And then we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to fill us with this peace of Christ that guards our hearts and minds. Do you know, we can't worry and have peace at the same time. It's one or the other. So as soon as we experience this peace from God that he promises us, that also guards our hearts and minds. And it's about constantly going to God with our issues and replacing lies with truth. We're telling him every detail of our lives, every concern that we have. We're replacing this inner conflict with peace. And the more we do it, the more our hearts and minds are guarded against negative thoughts coming in. So what I thought we'd do this morning is just, I mean, we've already had a bit of a moment of, of quiet and stillness and, you know, interaction with God. But I just would like to do that again and... You know, we're not going to have any music just yet, but in a couple of minutes we will. But just, just have a little bit of a, a moment between you and God. And I'm going to read each part of this verse. I'm going to let it sink in. And, and we're just going to do a little bit of talking to God and working out some stuff. Do not be anxious about anything. So think about what is worrying you at the moment. Take a few moments and ask yourself some why questions, maybe. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, what requests do you have for God? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is it that you are thankful for? Can you try and be thankful for the difficult things?
and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just stay in that moment and ask God for his peace. Lord God, as we think about our worries and concerns, we just ask for your peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that doesn't make sense in worldly terms and that can only come from you. We ask Jesus that you would guard our hearts and minds from anything that seeks to destroy us. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.